How's everybody? Welcome to Kesed. Uh, I'm excited. You got time. You're fine. Get your coffee and donuts. Uh, don't mind me. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm excited that you guys um, are here today. If you're brand new, uh, let me just welcome you. We're starting a brand new series today um, called Visible. And uh, I'll kind of explain what that is inside the sermon as we go. But it's four solid weeks um, of basically touching on the topic of fellowship. And uh, fellowship as a whole, I think, is often misunderstood as a church for a few different reasons that we're going to talk about. But what I want you to know, coming from me, is that uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Tom got up and shared with you guys the amazing results of all the giving that has come in. And you guys, I want to thank you, have been very, very consistent in your commitments. And uh, we are, that, everything is just moving forward uh, beautifully. Tom's going to be back in a few weeks with another update, letting you know how things are going with the city and what our timeline's looking like and all that kind of stuff. But as everybody around me was celebrating, um, I became a little bit overwhelmed with this reality that, that God is moving us downtown. And I started to kind of look around our church and I realized how many people have been here so long and so committed in such a beautiful community we're in and how I wonder how all of us are going to do when we move downtown where God is apparently bringing us and we are flooded with a whole bunch of people who are so different than us and are incredibly unlike us and have different thinking and different thoughts and and, and, and those different thoughts maybe have results in different uh, lifestyles and attitudes and actions and all these different kinds of things. And I just started asking, okay, what? What? Did you turn my mic on? No, Sean, I can hear you. Oh, I need to check. Hold on a second. Is that better? I was doing really well, too. I was, like, so excited about myself. <laughs> All I thought was you guys were telling me how good I was doing. You were like, 10, 10, you're doing awesome. This is a 10. And I was like, yes. And then I realized they won't stop waving their hands. And um, that, must, that must be uh, Jan's fault. When I hugged you, did you pull this off? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, so the concept is pretty straightforward in that we need to be a church that's, that's really, really good at fellowship. That's really, really good at connecting with uh, people who are different than us. And if we don't start doing that here, then when we are flooded, uh, and it's going to happen, folks. Like, I don't know if you realize the percentage that churches grow, just every, every day average church growth when you get a building is like 30% in the first year just getting a building, let alone if you're doing anything you know, uh, effective. Just getting a building, even if you're doing inefficient ministry, you're going to grow by 30%. So we are going to be flooded with new people in this new place that God is moving, especially now that we're being funded by all the folks who are committed. I wonder if we realize what that's going to feel like. And so for four weeks, I want to talk about what it means to be a fellowship. And I don't want to talk about it maybe how you think. We'll start first with the word fellowship. This is what it means. It means a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. We are obviously a group of people who share an interest, and our interest is serving the Lord or learning more about the Lord or, or, or worshiping the Lord. Whatever it is, it's generally God-centric or God-focused. We inside the fellowship are called fellows. I don't know if you know that or not, right? We're all fellows. And a fellow is a person in the same position, involved in the same activity, or otherwise associated with another. We are all fellows because we all sit in the same fellowship and in the same place doing some of the same thing. This place, this fellowship of believers, which is what the Bible calls us, is supposed to be here 
proclaiming to people that they also can belong, can be heard, and can be seen by the fellowship before God. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, when we moved to Clark, we lost people who said, I'm just not a college person. I'm not, that's not what I do. Right? I really like the grade school. And I guarantee you, when we move downtown, there's going to be people who go, I'm just not a downtown person. That's not what I do. So let me address those people first. First off, I'm sad for people who claim only to be a certain kind of church person because only being, and I think Chandler said this somewhere, Matt Chandler, but being a church person and not a Jesus person and basically saying, well, I, I, I'm not really that kind of person. What you're defining yourself is by where the church attends or by who the speaker is or whatever it is. You're a church person. Jesus people go wherever God calls them. Jesus people end up in churches they, they can't stand because they know they have a ministry in that church. They end up in countries they don't want to be in. They end up paying costs they don't want to pay. Church people are like people, Chandler said, who are engaged but never get married. It's just miserable. You're just constantly engaged forever. There's a bunch of church people who are only engaged with God, if you will. You're actually not married to him, and that's why location is so important to you. And it makes some sense. So inside this series, you'll get a chance to get married. Okay? You're going to get a chance to be committed, to make a decision that God has called you here, or lovingly, God has called you somewhere else. <laughs> I did a series one time where I tried to name it this. I've told this, you guys this before called Shrink the Church. I've done multiple Shrink the Church talks, and by God, I'll do one again if I have to, okay? Because we want to be a fellowship of believers for God, by God, in, in, in service to God, not a fellowship of, of people who are engaged who just get together to look good, hang out, be creative, listen to fun music, and just go home and say, yeah, that was entertaining. That's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. We are called to serve. We are called the bride of Christ that makes him our groom. We are engaged, and we're going to go wherever he calls us to. And apparently, he's called us as his fellows in his fellowship downtown to serve people that are different than us. Now, what do I mean by different? Now, I'm going to use a different word that's, that uh, I think will better describe just what I think this fellowship will look like here in about a year. Um, I think it's going to be brutal for some of you. Um, because I think for many of us, we have actually searched anything we can out in our life that's different from how we are, and we've gotten rid of it. And we've been saturated in sameness for years. Saturated in sameness for years. But I'm here to tell you right now, that's not what Scripture says we're called to. And I have text to back it up. Because who cares what I think? Probably one of the most brutal verses in regards to the kind of fellowship, the brutal fellowship we're supposed to be is in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, it's always used by Twitter-pated lovers to express their, their ignorant love of one to another that they don't even realize they're committing. And I know this because I do a lot of these weddings. <laughs> and they come forward and they say time and time again, as they should, Okay, this is not inappropriate because they're Twitter-pated, right? They're, this is something my kids, they're just goo-goo for each other. And they're like, we want, we want 1 Corinthians 13 read over our marriage. And I'm like, ugh. Not because the verse is horrible, but because if you really read the verse for what it's supposed to mean, you will get chills down your spine that this is how God defines true fellowship in love. Allow me to give you an example. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. Twitter-pated couple looks upon one another with gaze in their eyes as I say these words. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Translation, no matter how much I say I love you, no matter how well-spoken I am, no matter how many great sermons I give or poems I write, if I don't show you love, I'm just a loud, annoying sound. Hmm, romantic. (laughs) And if I have prophetic powers, this is for all my charismatic friends, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, he even reduces it lower, I am nothing at all. So if I pray every night before we go to bed, if I shower you in verses, if I read texts over you, but I don't show you love, I might as well not exist. If I give away all I have, think about this phrase, okay, that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth that is being used by us to describe true relationship and fellowship of believers. That's what he's describing here. This is what it means to be in a community of people, ready? If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but don't love you, I gain nothing. First off, have you ever met anyone who truly gave away every single thing they have? I haven't. I'm not saying lost it in a fire, or I'm saying donated everything, including the shoes on their feet, and stood before another person or a group of people and said, this is all I own because I gave everything else I have away to the poor or the person I love. I only have this. And not only do I only have this, but if I give up my body to be burned, in essence, I also will give you my life in exchange for you to live. If I do these two extreme examples of ultimate fellowship and love, true examples, but don't do it from a place of actual genuine uh, hesed, right? Genuine, that's the name of our church, steadfast commitment to who is before me. If I do this and do it without love, then it means nothing. And then listen to this, verse four. And you might as well read this like a pass-fail. Right? Sometimes verses, you can just do it that way. I was thinking about this. My wife and I, right before 9 o'clock service, she came up to me and asked me a question. And it was one of those questions that was going to turn into a fight. Do you know those questions? And I'm three minutes, according to the timer, from getting on stage. And Monty's next to her. And I said, I'm not going to answer that question because it's going to cause us to fight. And I have to go tell people about the love of Jesus right now. (laughs) And she didn't care at all. She was like, just answer the question. Is this what happened? I just want to know what happened. Just answer the question. And I was like, I'm not doing this right now because I got a job for the Lord to do right now. I'm not doing this. not going to engage. Okay? It's a true story. You can ask Monty. Monty got in the middle, and she's like, he needs to go preach right now, Aaron. And she's like, I'll talk to you after service then. I'll talk. I was like, man. Prophet in his own hometown, right? You just can't, you can't do it, right? And so here's the reality of my wife and I before I read this verse. My wife and I to this day struggle with the stuff in this verse. The opening word is love is patient and kind. I'm out. (laughs) Love is patient and kind. Now here's the thing. My wife is incredibly patient like a Venus flytrap patient, just waiting, right? She will wait for days, for days. Like, we'll talk about it later. And, she, and I'm like, I'm trying, I'm like that fly trying to get around it, you know? Like, like don't, don't touch the three hairs or it's gonna close in. I mean, it's intense. It's intense. She's patient, but she's not always very kind. Love is patient and kind. Aaron and I, we're out. See how the rest of these work in your life. Love does not envy or boast, ever. Ever? Like, like not even a little bit? 
of envy and boasting? I'm going to confess something. This is an open confession because uh, <laughs> I'm just in the mood to confess it. Uh, I had said for many years, slightly as a joke and slightly as sarcasm, but also slightly because I really believe God was going to show up this way, that we were going to get given a church. At about five years old, five years old as a church, uh, people would ask me, when are you going to be a real church and get a building? A lot of my friends got buildings. People went into debt for buildings. People, I mean, it was crazy for a while. It was like you hit three, 400 people and you just had to have a building. And I was like, I don't know about that. And so I would tell people constantly from stage on recording, listen, when we're supposed to have a building, God's just going to give us one. And then we got a building. And I want to be honest with you, the day we got a building, I went out and stood on my deck, no one around, and I just did this. There's no one around, so I don't feel like it's boasting, but God knew my heart. And I thought, he's going to strike me down, but I don't care because I, yes, right? And then I came in here like, isn't it amazing? And I was a little more controlled. But that, I could never boast about that. So I'm out again, okay, because I boast a little, and I definitely envy, right? I definitely see things. Uh, a friend just let me drive, because as some of you know, I'm a car guy, and a friend just let me drive his, <laughs> he rented uh, a brand new Tesla that goes from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. And he said, do you want to go for a drive with me? And I showed up and before he could get in the driver's seat, I got in the driver's seat and took the keys. <laughs> and it was glorious. And I envied him badly. So I'm out in that case as well. It's not arrogant or rude. A bunch of you are out right there. A whole bunch of you. I know a lot of rude people to go to this church. Okay, arrogant or rude. Just true. It comes with the scrappy, edgy, pirate-style church we do. You just, yeah, we're all out on the rude one. It does not insist on its own way. Ugh. Never insists on its own way. Never says, I think my way might be better. It is not irritable or resentful. How many people decued themselves on the way to church today? Raise your hands. Yeah, go ahead. Irritable or resentful. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Good for you the rest of your line. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then listen to verse 7. Listen to verse 7 describing love. Listen to this. Love bears all things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, for love never ends. Now, if you've ever loved someone for any period of time, when you read that verse, you should be overwhelmed with the call God has put that the, the line God has drawn that he demands love to meet. That's why it's completely appropriate for new, new, uh, new lovers to engage in such a monumental climb. It's like sitting below, you know, uh, Everest and saying, here, hold my camera, take that picture. When I get to the top, I'm going to Facebook it right away. And people who've climbed Everest are like, are you for real right now? Like people die up here, but you don't know. You just want that picture, right, with the coolness and the flag, and you're just, you just see it in your head. But once you get halfway up that mountain, I better tell you what, when the oxygen tank gets half down low, you think, just for a second, if I throw you off, I might live a little longer than you. Okay, there's not a marriage in the room who hasn't thought that. Because this description of love and describing what love is is also describing what love tends to turn into if it's not. We as a fellowship are called to love people like this through endurance, through, through uh, not being resentful of people who come in. I told the Main Street people, I said, listen, I'm going to be honest. I read the whole verse. I didn't get a huge response. And I said, let me translate it this way. When all the new people come to your church, you're probably not going to be able to sit in the same seat every single week. And they went, oh, oh. 
All for the cross of Jesus, I guess, you know. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I thought that was awesome. <laughs> like 30 years of the same spot. They're like, I don't know. Mm. You know, I'm not a missionary. You know, I don't know what you're expecting. But <laughs> the reality is, the reality is that whatever our thing is that, that's going to happen when people come in here, what about people who come in here who are stronger at serving in the area you serve in? And you just know they're supposed to lead this. You just know it. You're going to resent them? You're going you're gonna to be envious of them and their connection? What about people who, who, who become leaders faster than you became leaders? Or people who, who are just more gregarious, so they suddenly come in and more people are shaking their hands, and you're not getting as many handshakes. And the reality is we are part of a fellowship that struggles with love. And love beautiful also describes for you love ugly. There's a lot of marriages in this room, and you have an ugly love. You love each other, and you tell people that, but it's ugly. It's envious and jealous and boastful and prideful. And it's not filled with these things that are, that are consistent and constantly dying to the cross of Christ. Because as you know, God is love. He is the hope in the verse because it is through God that you can be less envious, less boastful, less prideful, more giving, more generous, more sacrificial. It is through God that my wife and I are in much deeper love than we ever were at the beginning when we thought the verse meant something different than it actually meant. It is only through God that our fellowship that we think is so amazing can transform into something we don't even imagine yet, full of people completely different than us, who take incredibly different stands in every possible arena, and yet when it comes to worship and love and Christ-like transformation, are joined together in one voice and one song and one purpose to reach more people just like we're all different. It takes different people to reach different people. It's just what it is. There is going to be incredible value in folks that are different in this audience. And that means if you live in the most different folks are going to be all of us who live in North County, right? I'm moving a whole group of North County people to downtown. And they're like, I don't understand this. What's happening? You got to park so far away, right? Good. Yeah, be different. Embrace that and be a part of that. And watch what God does in bringing our fellowship to something new that reflects him and his love for each of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to give you an example of what this, I think, looks like uh, in the Bible. And it's, it's a kind of a cool verse because it's a very popular verse. But when you read it sort of upside down, the verse takes on a, a, a little bit more, I think, richer and truer to context meaning. The verse is very simple. You have Jesus going through the town. And as he's going through the town, he's being approached by all kinds of different people. And he continues to speak to people outside the church. The woman at the well, or the woman uh, uh, with the hemorrhage, or the blind man, or the lepers. He's always speaking to people outside the church. But eventually, he does come up against the fellowship of the church. And the fellowship of the church is really divided in leadership between two people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the aristocrats of the group. They were the wealthy people. They were the people that uh, controlled the Sanhedrin, the, the kind of the religious system. They were the people that walked through town and everyone didn't really like them, especially the common man, because they were the ones always working with Rome in order to, to you know, make sure there was peace in Jerusalem, but still sort of, you know, nursing off the teat of Rome. And they didn't really like these people for that reason. And so there was another group of people and they were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the middle class to poor people. They were the pastors. The everyday preachers, the people who went from house to house and blessed people. And they were the people that the people looked to and, and loved on. And they were the people 
that led that portion of the church. And so you have Jesus dealing with these two people. And eventually, through one of the confrontations or conflicts, the Sadducees ask Jesus a question that he immediately answers in such a way that it shuts them down. The Sadducees are shut down. This, this group of the fellowship is, is, has kind of been distanted from, at this time, the coming Messiah, potential king bringer, Jesus, who was hugely popular with the masses. And so who else is hugely popular with the masses? The Pharisees. And so the opening of the verse says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So the context of the verse, when you sit in the first part instead of just the second, which is when they will read in a moment, ask which is the greatest commandment, the concept of the verse actually comes from a really interesting place. And it's one group of the fellowship trying to make sure that they gain ground on the other group of the fellowship. Because if they can get Jesus to answer with them, it only drives home the point that the Sadducees are a bunch of worthless rich people. They don't understand the common man like us Pharisees. So the first thing they do is they get together. They don't just come out and start asking questions. They get a plan, right? They get together. They talk about how they can take control of how the masses are following Jesus, and maybe the masses will follow us. Let's just get him to side with us. Let's answer a question we know he'll answer the way we want. And so they answer a question they think he'll answer very straightforward, which is, what's the greatest commandment? And at this time, if you know, know this, the Sadducees don't even believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in much of God's written word. They're just people who believe in the system, but more for the system's sakes. The Pharisees are the, uh, the faith followers of the group. And so they know that God will say that you have to love me. This is the commandment. And so it says that they get together. And one of them, a lawyer, of course, asked Jesus a question to test him. And he says this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, you know, all the Pharisees looked right over straight at the Sadducees like, yeah, you're about to bite it now, aren't you? Because <laughs> bummer for you. You guys already had your shot. You struck out its archer. And teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And the first thing he does is answer them just like they thought. And he said to them, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind. And you know, they were like, hmm. Isn't that nice? Isn't that a good smell to it, a good tone to it? Love the Lord your God, a God that you guys struggle with, a God that just really just starts to break the fellowship altogether. But then Jesus, who I don't even think took a breath, says, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is equal to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. Now this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, was not expected. And it's a very specific text that Jesus is quoting from a very specific part of the Old Testament that both sides of these scribes would know exactly what he was saying. You shall love your God, Pharisees, and you shall love your neighbor, the ones you asked that question to spite, the ones you tried to break, the ones you're trying to make small. And you know the text I'm referring to, and today I want to read it to you. It's Leviticus 19.9. It's a description of what real fellowship was to look like for the Israelites. And it starts off, with how they are to treat people outside their groups, right? People that we may call invisible. It says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And then he finishes with, I am the Lord your God. 
He says, culturally, here's what I want you to do for people that are invisible in your community, people you don't know, people you want to help. And we do this great as a church, by the way. We, we, we send groups to missions, and we, we do clean water projects or, or all the different stuff that's happening. I mean, we help people in need, especially people we don't know, the invisible. He says this is part of the Christian command. When you harvest your field, leave the edges, because at night... The poor will come and they will pick up the scraps of your field on the edges that you've left or the grapes that you've left on your vines and they will live and there will be sustenance. Or someone traveling through who's starving, who knows no one, that no one has seen at night will pass through your field and he will pick a bushel of grapes and he will, he will take it and he will survive. And this is how you are to give to those in your community who are invisible. And then he goes on. And for the next six verses, described for them now how they're supposed to be with each other, the visible. See, we as a church focus on the invisible almost all the time. But we rarely, like in this series, focus on who's sitting next to us today. This is what he says. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of our, your God. And then he finishes with, because I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In essence, don't, if people work for their wages, pay them. Don't hold it over them in order to get them to come back and work again. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. And then he says these four words, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Now, by the way, that line that they would have known when he casted that earlier phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, that line right there, you shall not be impartial to the poor nor defer to the great. Remember, the, the Sadducees considered themselves great, and the Pharisees considered themselves poor. And so he speaks a, a context over them that lets them know, no. You shall not only help the poor or only listen to the great. He says, you shall not go around. Listen to these boys. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. For I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. This is the I am the Lord passage. And when Jesus proclaims over them, you shall love God, which they knew, and you shall love your neighbor like this. What they all said under their breath at the end that he was saying with his eyes was, because I am the Lord. This is the context of how we are supposed to live in fellowship, helping the invisible, but not only helping the invisible, not only sending it off to where it's easy, not only connecting to where it's simple, actually helping the visible, the people in our lives right here, right now that need us, connecting with people in our homes. I, I, I've sent people on mission trips that were leaders only to find out that while they were away on the mission trip, their entire marriage had been falling apart the whole previous year. Because it is easier to help the invisible than it is to help the visible. It would be an easier sell for me today to tell you that we're going to get a truck, fill it with stuff, and send it somewhere than it would be for me to say I'm going to go downtown, fill a truck, and bring it here. 
You'd be like, oh, whoa, I'll go buy some milk and some water. And now you're going to bring who here? And we're going to do what? When? Like, this is my church. This is where I sit. These are my people. Can't you just take my 20 bucks and leave us alone? Not according to Scripture. Because you can't love God without loving people. And you can't love people that are only invisible. You have to love people you don't understand and you disagree with. And you have to do it in a beautifully brutal way. And it's going to cost you. Because you're going to get envious. And then the cross is going to reign. I am the Lord. You're going to get jealous. And then the cross is going to reign. I am the Lord. You're going to desire to, to, to show other people how you know what's right and they're doing wrong. And then you're going to let the cross reign in your life and proclaim like every single impossible verse does at the end, I am the Lord. It is because of love, 1 Corinthians can't exist. And it's I am the Lord six times in that passage that proclaimed again because of God, you can treat people like that. Visible or invisible. Our community can be famous for our fellowship if our God is famous in our fellowship. It's going to be him that builds this place. It's going to be him that deems it worthy. And it's going to be him that brings forward every single person in this room and their story and what it is that they can do and how it is they can serve. There's an image of a man on our visible logo. Every week for four weeks, there's going to be a different image of a different person, and every person is going to be someone that goes to our church. This man's name is Fig. He sits in the back of this service right here, I believe. Uh, he only comes to the 11, and you've passed him many, many times without probably ever noticing. Fig, quite a few months ago, handed me a piece of paper and said, I'm a poet. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm a poet. And, uh, I, you know, I've never, never let anybody see my poetry, but I feel like you should see it. And so I took the poetry that Fig has never let anyone see. And I called him when we started this series. I had someone call him. And they asked him, Fig, would you be willing to share the poem you've never shared with anybody with the entire church? Because <laughs> why not just go for it if you're going to go for it? And he said, yes, I would. And so I want to show you a video of a visible man. He has no great need. He's not looking for anything. He's just a man in our community that we walk by every single week, just like you and just like me. And this is his poem. say that we know a lot of people, but just how well do you really know any of them? For that matter, just how well does anyone really know you? We let people know what we want them to know by the words we speak, the actions we take, and the words we write. Now when you hear someone describing you to someone else, and the words that you hear, truthful, honest, giving, loyal, wise, responsible, gives you such an awesome feeling that words cannot describe it. 
But to find out that someone could know you better than you thought anyone could, other than God. That you are walking in the direction He has chosen for you. Even though I still have a long way to go, I have the comfort of knowing that God is with me each step of the way. And by believing in Him, trusting in Him, and having faith in Him, but most of all, loving Him as He loves me, then I know God will be there to pick me up when I fall. Help me through my troubling times and help me to learn from my failures. For God is the only one I know, as well as myself, if not better, because he is with me now and forever, no matter what. First John 4, 20 and 21 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Because the one who does not love his fellow Christian, whom he has not seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have from him is this, that the one who loves God and should love his fellow Christian too. We have an opportunity as a church to love people that we can see. We have an opportunity as a church to love people that we can touch. And we have an opportunity to love people who, who, who we can't see and we, and we can't touch, the invisible people. But I don't want to lose the people that attend here. I don't want to lose the stories that attend here. And that's what this whole series is about. That's why we do this thing in our church called Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week discipleship program that we do in our church three times a year. We've taken over 300 people through Rooted. If you've been through Rooted, will you stand up for me if you're in this congregation right now, if you've been through the Rooted program? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. You can raise your hand. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Every single service, there are people who have been through Rooted. And people who have been through Rooted understand probably a little bit better than many of us what it means to be in a community, a brutal community that it's exposed and honest and vulnerable. And so what I wanted to do was not just end the service with an offer to you to, to join the Rooted we've been talking about that starts next week, by the way. You can sign up today and join a community just like this. There's groups ready and waiting for people to fill in. But the reality is I wanted you to actually meet a few people who had been through the group and hear from them, themselves, uh, what the experience looked like. couple things about Rooted first. Like fellowship, Rooted costs. Uh, Rooted is $50 a person to go through, and yet the money is really not a problem because I'm also looking for people to help sponsor people who can't afford to go. Some of you have been through, some of you can't go through right now. You don't have uh, uh, the time or you just, you just don't feel like it's time. I'd love for you to consider sponsoring a few people that are going to be going through Rooted because we're always needing that. It's $50 a person. It's 10 weeks. It starts on Sunday, but it's multiple days a week. So just because you're busy every Tuesday and Thursday doesn't mean we won't have a group for you to go through Rooted. Again, you can sign up in the fellowship hall, but I'm going to have a group come up right now, guys. And we're going to share with you just a little bit about this group, about kind of uh, how it works, and answer a couple of these uh, fellowship questions. So would you give them a hand? Yeah. 
How's it going? Good to see you. Alicia, right? Yeah. <laughs> Last group, I had a Felicia and an Alicia, and then I, I messed up with the uh, and I called her the fa. So, uh, uh, hi, welcome. Welcome. Uh, I've got some mics here for you guys. Here you are. Here you are. Uh, you're going to sing a special after, isn't awesome. that? Just if you could close us with how great thou art, that would be great. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was totally embarrassing, wasn't it? Uh, um, Chuck, we'll start with you. Uh, Chuck uh, and Alicia um, help actually lead many of our Rooted facilitators. So the Rooted facilitators are people who have to go through Rooted, and they're the ones who meet with you to facilitate the groups themselves, and they help with that training and with those discussions. So why don't you open up with just what are you hearing from people when they start Rooted, when they end Rooted, and uh, kind of what, what's your experience and what kind of conversations are you having? Um, you want to start? No, okay. <laughs> You know, it's a beautiful thing to see a transformed life. And with 300 people going through Rooted, there's transformation that does happen. Um, marriages coming to a better place. Um, Rooted is a beginning point, not an end point. And the babies that have come about because of Rooted, um, you know, I, I would That's say. That's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, we have five Rooted babies, do we not? Uh, Rooted has so. a very yeah. high conception yeah. rate, so. Yes. True story. Five yeah. babies, all boys, if I'm not mistaken. Or is it one girl? I don't, I don't know. One girl? One okay, girl. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it is a transformation. Um, people who go through are changed. It is what you put into it. You know, and for me personally, it's the fifth, best $50 I've ever spent um, in it. I've, I found my bride. And that's if Aww. you're still willing to marry me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do. <laughs> wow. Well, stand up. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> I told you they have no idea what they're getting into. Um, Alicia, tell me, um, what, what, did you, uh, what, was the, what was the biggest surprise? Biggest surprise? Um, I think ultimately how my relationship with the Holy Spirit developed. I don't think I really expected that. I think I expected to really dive into scripture and get to know that more because I'd never been in part of a small group. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to expect. So for me, learning a daily discipline of how to have a, a more fulfilling relationship with God mm -hmm. and how to communicate with the Holy Spirit and really let him speak for me, through me, and work through me was just not what I thought I would get out of it. Okay. Okay, good. Very good. Do you want to tell me... Um Mandy, tell me what you, probably your biggest challenge, because I know it's challenging, and I know that, that getting into a, an environment like this, uh, it, yeah, go ahead, and, Alicia, you can hand her the mic. Thank you. Uh, uh, I, we had a few discussions about what this might be like, and so I'm kind of setting you up Thank for you. that. You're welcome. Um, so originally, I was not going to do Rooted. I didn't even go to the first big group session. Mm -hmm. um, so I really, I was going through a lot of stuff personally, um, and I was like, I cannot give the time. Um, so I was like, my parents were actually the facilitators of our group. My mom kept gently kind of pushing, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Um, you'll be in a safe place. I was like, no. And then kind of about, I think it was like the Tuesday before, because we had a Thursday night study, and uh, she goes, well, I bought you a book, and so you're going to be there. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Um, I think the biggest challenge was um, having grown up in a 
Christian home and going to a Christian school, I felt like I knew all the answers, um, the pat Jesus answers, and I even found myself the first week kind of writing those, just stuff that I wanted people to hear, um, not necessarily what I was really going through in my personal walk. And the first night that we talked, um, I caught myself mid-answer. I think it was a question about where, um, when have you felt that God was not with you? And I was like, no, that's never happened to me. I'm, I'm great. I'm, you know, my uh, social media life that looks perfect on uh, my Instagram. And I found myself stopping my answer and saying, no, this year has been tough. Um, I've gone through a lot of stuff. And there was a lot of times where I questioned where I was at and why God was allowing things to happen. And I think once I finally allowed that and basically saying, this is, these are people who are doing this with you. These are safe people. Like, actually share who you are in your yeah. heart. And so yeah. I think kind of breaking that um, good girl Christian look thing and yeah. not, you know, yeah. just saying what I thought I should say or what everybody thought I should say. So Yeah. yeah. Dave, this is your daughter, uh, yeah. for those who didn't know. It is. And, uh, and you guys have been through amazing. and you guys have facilitated. So you've experienced her journey along with other people's journeys, and uh, tell us, tell us, how's that feel? I can tell it, it, it's getting you a little bit. Yeah, I'm probably not the best person to take the mic next, but um, Sandy and I, uh, we've been through uh, through this journey three times now, so we're kind of like junkies, um, <laughs> rooted junkies at this okay. point. Uh, participating uh, as group members and then twice as facilitators. Um, having Mandy a as go through the, her experience in the group and seeing her embraced and loved on by the rest of the people in the group was just mm. like so cool for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we've obviously, as, as, as her mom and dad going through it with her, it was just wonderful to see other people kind of step in and, and see people really be the, the, the loving church to her through all of that, and um, I have a lot to say today, but I'm not going to say much more than that. That's right. You're fairly easy to see in the crowd, so if you have questions of Dave, <laughs> just look up, <laughs> and uh, he, I'm sure he'd, he'd love to. His, his equally as tall wife, Sandy, do you want to? <laughs> <so? laughs> um, both of you, you guys can both kind of close us out. What do you want to what did you experience you didn't expect, I guess, or, or what was really hard, or what, what do you feel like people would benefit folks in here considering diving into this kind of fellowship? I would say do it. Um, it was, for me, I grew up in the church where we had a midweek service. We had Sunday night service. Coming here to, as for Kessid on Sunday morning is, is that refreshing time. I needed something midweek. Mm -hmm. It was like this cup of cold water. I looked forward to it, and... It provided a chance to be disciplined, to get into the word. I'd like to say, I'd, and really dive in and get that midweek refreshment and mm -hmm. walk. And then the bonus was got to meet amazing people. It's it's people you didn't really know before? People didn't know at all. Okay. The beauty of it is you get together in the beginning and you look around. I didn't know anybody. And it was from a young, unmarried, single person to older people like us. And the diversity of the group, and as we would go around, my favorite part was sharing our stories about our faith, our testimony, where'd we come through. 
And every single person's story was just like this eye-opening mm. chance to, now I feel like I know you. Yeah. And I've learned from you. And we just got so much from each other. Yeah. So it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. Anything to add before you sing your special? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say um, my first, um, when I first heard about Rooted, my first thinking of it was that it was going to be for uh, either people seeking God or people that are new uh, Christ followers. And I've been a Christian a uh, very long time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like, well, that doesn't sound like it would be for me. Mm -hmm. um, and the amazing thing about God is that he can um, provide a Bible study with people from all different walks of life, um, they're at different stages in their walk. Um, it, this Bible study will be for someone who just wants to find out about him all the way to you've been a Christian forever because God, even for the people that have been Christians forever, have read the Bible um, several times, he can reveal things to you through a verse that you've read mm -hmm. hundreds of times and it means something different because he's teaching you something right then. And so going into it just trusting that he will do that for you. Mm -hmm. You will not come out with nothing. You, um, everyone will have a different experience. And for all of the, those on the fence about doing it, you aren't graded. There's no test. There's not, you know, if you have that test anxiety, I'm mm. going to be in mm. front of these people I don't know. There, it's it's not like that it's Great. it's safe you can share what you want to share um you will get out of it what you put into it though i have to say so if you um you know want want to learn more and deepen your relationship with jesus i recommend that for you that's great thank you can we give them a hand <laughs> I guess we get that special later. Get that song later. Uh, the point of this panel um, is, I think, fairly self-explanatory. And that is that basically uh, we, we want to be people who are willing to engage in this kind of community. We want to be people who are willing to, to walk out our faith, not only with the world around us and the, and the invisible people, but the visible people that we get to do church with. So I want to encourage you. If you want to be a part of Rooted, go out and talk at the Welcome Center. If you are, have been through Rooted and you've been just on the edge of facilitating the group, go out and talk uh, to those at the Welcome Center. Or if you want to sponsor someone and you just know that you're supposed to, that there's people in here who won't go because they can't afford those, that $50 uh, cover charge, uh, again, go out and talk at the Welcome Center. We want to put our, our spiritual life where our mouth is and where our heart is, and we want to begin over the next four weeks to really have a full fully conceived concept of fellowship because they are coming. God is bringing us to them and they are going to meet him and it's going to blow their mind and it, I think it's going to be our love and our fellowship and our family that's going to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come out and uh, you know what, actually, I'm just going to stand us in closing prayer. Let's stand up uh, because uh, she was supposed to sing the song and she didn't, so obviously we're, uh, uh, but we're running a little over on time. Uh, I sure appreciate you guys. I think you guys are just fantastic, and I'm so excited. Really, try to be here for all of these. They're all going to be really interesting and really exciting. 
And then uh, we're going to continue to have some updates on what's going on with the building, with the city, with our plans. And uh, it's, it's going to be amazing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in fellowship with you, to gather, to connect, to, to be a, a group of people that are about one thing, and that is bringing glory to who you are. Thank you for those who risked this weekend. Thank you for Fig God and his beautiful poem. Thank you for all the invisible people we get to reach. And thank you for all the visible ones. We just lift our community up. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Thanks for coming. Let the king.